Tonight's reading is from Ezekiel chapter 13 and 14. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who prophesy, who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, O Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it for the house of Israel, so that it will stand firm in battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. They say, the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them, yet they expect their words to be fulfilled. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say, the Lord declares, though I have not spoken? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, because of your false words and lying visions, I am against you, declares the Lord, the Sovereign Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the the sovereign Lord. Because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there is no peace, and because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurtling down, and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask, where is the whitewash you covered it with? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, in my wrath I will unleash a violent wind. And in my anger, hailstones and torrents of rain will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you will be destroyed in it and you will know that I am the Lord. So I will spend my wrath against the wall and against those who covered it with whitewash. I will say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who whitewashed it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Sovereign Lord. Now, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own imagination. Prophesy against them and say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the women who sew magic charms on all their wrists and make veils of various lengths for their heads in order to ensnare people. Will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? You have profaned me among my people for a few handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. By lying to my people who listen to lies, you have killed those who should not have died and have spared those who should not live. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I'm against your magic charms with which you ensnare people like birds, and I'll tear them from your arms. I will set free the people that you ensnare like birds. I will tear off your veils and save my people from your hands, and they will no longer fall prey to your power.
Then you will know that I am the Lord. Because you disheartened the righteous with your lies, when I had brought them no grief, and because you encouraged the wicked not to turn from their evil ways, and so save their lives, therefore you will no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will save my people from your hands, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. When any Israelite or any alien living in Israel separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. I will set my face against that man and make him an example and a byword. I will cut him off from my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is enticed to utter a prophecy, I, the Lord, have enticed that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. They will bear their guilt. The prophet will be as guilty as the one who consults him. Then the people of Israel will no longer stray from me, nor will they defile themselves any more with all their sins. They will be my people, and I will be their God, declares the Sovereign Lord. This is God's word. Richard MJ, thank you for another cheerful reading from Ezekiel. Uh, Apologies, we've we've gone backwards uh, a little bit. We're spending ten weeks in the book of Ezekiel, and... Uh, trying to uh, follow through the, the logic, but taking representative passages. And I, I just convicted we needed to go back, having looked at chapter 16, and uh, spend a few weeks looking at this section. Let me, uh, let me pray as we begin. Our Father, we've sung uh, great songs of praise already this evening uh, to you and to the Lord Jesus. And we, we do want to worship him. We want to see him uh, very clearly. We want to thank him. So, Father, we pray this evening you'd help us see Jesus clearly. And the right Jesus, not one of our imagination, but the Lord of the Scriptures. So help us as we work at that this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, I don't know if you've uh, been watching the news much this week. Uh, quick true or false? True or false? Just, uh, you know, time's marching on, so just to uh, make sure you're with me. Uh, quick true or false? Uh, in space, it is impossible to cry. True or false? 
True. True, quite true. Uh, because there's no gravity in space, apparently your tear ducts don't work. It's not that they apparently. True, you can't cry in space. In space, no one hears you scream or sees you cry. Um, apparently that's true. Uh, true or false, slugs don't have noses. Is that a laugh of expertise amongst us? <laughs> True or false? Of course it's false. They have, they have four noses, obviously. Uh, slugs have four noses, if in case you didn't know. Um, True or false? Taphophobia. Taphophobia is the fear of losing your teeth. True or false? All oh, confidence, false. It is indeed the fear of being buried alive. Don't have bad dreams. <laughs> True or false? Um, God gives everyone a chance to turn back to him after they've died. False. False. I mean, the whole Bible is clear on that. I mean, one verse, perhaps Hebrews 9, verse 27, for it is destined for man to die once and then face judgment. No, you have a chance to respond rightly to God in this life. Uh, True or false? About a third of the New Testament is uh, about uh, writing to people who are deceived. Yeah, it's about true. It's about a third, uh, particularly of the the epistles, the letters, are writing to Christians who are deceived. That's interesting, isn't it? A third of the New Testament is saying, hello, wake up, you're being deceived. The wool poured over your eyes. Very striking, I think. Last one. Phew. Last one. Um, I'm a false teacher. True or false? (laughs) I'm hoping it's false. I'm hoping you think it's false. Good, good. Loyalty. Loyalty. Well done. What criteria do you apply? Because it's not obvious It's not that good teachers wear white, bad teachers wear black. That's not... I mean, it would help if I perhaps... um, If a false teacher wore this, wouldn't it? This would be helpful. (laughs) I won't put it on because um, the last time I did, I thought I'd need a fireman to get it off my head. Uh, it's made for my son, and I have a fat head, so that we won't do. We won't do that. It's not always that obvious to spot people who are going wrong in the Christian faith. People who are teaching things that are wrong. That is why about a third of the New Testament is directed to say, "You're mistaken." There have been people coming and teaching you the wrong thing. You need to wake up. And realise what is the gospel and what is not. About a third. Very striking New Testament. And that is the issue here in uh, Ezekiel chapter 13. There are some false teachers or false prophets. Ezekiel is not the only prophet in town. There are others there, but they're talking lies and nonsense. And Ezekiel is told to denounce them. What a miserable job.
Now, let me just uh, remind you, if you've not been with us, uh, where we're at. I've even got a little timeline for you this evening. Uh, Ezekiel, then, um, he is a, he's a preacher in the 6th century, beginning of the 6th century. So uh, the, the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is, uh, is, is the Israelites' capital city in the Old Testament. From about 1000 BC, David captures it around about then. It's their capital for 400 years. In about 597 BC, uh, it, the, the city is uh, captured by the Babylonians. And uh, they take about 10,000 of the leaders of society off uh, to exile in Babylon. Uh, about five years after that, Ezekiel is a prophet. He's in Babylon. Not in uh, Jerusalem, not in Israel, but uh, he's living in a shantytown uh, in Babylon with about 10,000 others. And uh, there he is in 592. He starts preaching. He's, and from really chapters 1 to 24 of the book of Ezekiel, he's preaching, judgment is coming. Turn back to God because Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Judgment is coming. So the first 24 chapters are a little bleak. Uh, then chapters 33 to 48, there are, he's preaching hope. Hope. That's for the last 15 years of his life. You can see that from about 587 to 572. Uh, Jerusalem does fall in 587, and then uh, Ezekiel preaches positively. And then the middle chapters of the book, 25 to 32, um, uh, he's preaching against other nations, not just Israel, other, other oracles against other nations. That's just kind of how the book works. So there's Ezekiel. He's preaching to a load of people who are, are, are in Babylon and saying... Don't put your hope in Jerusalem. Don't think everything is okay between you and God. It's not. But there were some false prophets saying, all is well. Peace, peace, peace. Ezekiel, so angry, isn't he? Bit of a loon, bit out there. It's fine. All is well. And so in this chapter, God says, Ezekiel, you need to tell, you need to stand up and say, those people are liars. You need to denounce them. Now, that's a miserable job. You, chapter 13, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Prophesy against the prophets. They're false. They've got the wrong end of the stick. Now, that's a miserable job. It, I mean, Ezekiel's life, if you've read the bits of the book that we haven't actually preached on, you realize Ezekiel's life, it's not laugh a minute. He has a tough life and is given a hard time for his preaching. But I'd say this is miserable. Ezekiel, I want you to stand up and say, he's a liar. He's got it wrong. Don't listen to him. He'll send you off and um, uh, God will will reject you if you listen to him. That's a miserable job. And I have to say for myself, there are almost any other topic on the Bible I'd rather preach on than that. Almost. There are a thousand and one passages that are more pleasing to preach on than this. It's miserable to stand up and say the negatives in that, about other people. And it's hard to get it right. Sadly, just before Easter, uh, uh, I had a conversation with two guys. Two guys who left the church, this church. The first one left, and uh, the main reason he gave, or certainly one of the reasons was, he felt that as a church we were too critical of other sorts of Christians. I asked him for an example. Actually, he couldn't give an example. He just said he, he felt it was an atmosphere. Now, that's true. That, that's miserable. And, and we probably need to repent of that. But, but he, couldn't, he couldn't actually give an example. Uh, the other guy I spoke to, about two days later, uh, the main reason he was leaving was because I refused to publicly criticize another church by name that's just down the road. 
Now, of course, I thought, well, I'm so annoyed with myself. Why didn't I just get these two together <laughs> and get on with something more useful? Um, you know, one saying, you're not critical enough. One saying, you're too critical. I mean, it's hard to get it right. But it's a miserable business, and no one really wants to, to do it. But here in this chapter, Ezekiel is condemning others. And he does so because it matters. So just to, um, we'll come to it in time, but just to pluck out one verse at the beginning, chapter 13, verse 19. Ezekiel's told to say this to the false teachers, you have profaned me among my people for a few handfuls of barley and scraps of bread by lying to my people who listen to lies. You've killed those who should not have died and have spared those who should not live. It's a matter of life or death. It matters to be listening to the truth and not to lies. So three sections is how the passage breaks down. And uh, two of them are, are rockets, rockets for people who are teaching lies. And the last then, um, in chapter 14, is a warning to the listeners. But we'll come to them in turn. Uh, really, 90% of our time is on this first point, uh, verses 1 to 16 of chapter 13, where uh, Ezekiel attacks religious whitewashers. So it's religious whitewashers, then he's going to attack pagan charmers, and then he's going to warn people that God will deceive them. It's not laugh a minute, I'm afraid. It's a warning. It's a serious warning that God is giving to us because it matters. Jump in then, chapter 13, as I say, this is where we spend our time. Verses 1 to 16, he's condemning religious whitewashers. The issue back then was, uh, as I said, people were claiming, God has spoken to me. Now, a prophet in the Old Testament, that's a very serious job to have. Um, the prophet spoke the very words of God. So throughout the prophets, if you read Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, for example, they'll say, thus says the Lord. I am God's mouthpiece. I am giving you the very words of God. Now, that's a pretty solemn business. So, if you get that wrong, back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, if you are a false prophet, God says, if someone stands up and says, God, thus, thus says the Lord, and it's not true, can you kill them, please? Because they'll lead my people astray. Oh, it's a serious business. It's a serious business. Now, things are not quite the same in the New Testament. There aren't prophets in the same way as Old Testament prophets speaking the very words of God. I mean, Hebrews chapter 1 and uh, verse 1 is quite clear on this. In the past, God has spoken to our forefathers by the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So in the past, God spoke through lots of different prophets. In the, the New Testament perspective is God has spoken through Jesus Christ. And there are no more words like those words. So there are prophets in the New Testament but they mustn't say, thus says the Lord. Prophecy in the New Testament, you can take it or leave it. Someone might stand up and say, I think God is saying this. And you can look at them and say, oh, interesting, but I'm not sure that's right. So very different. Old Testament, it is the solemn word of God. New Testament, a prophet, well, take it or leave it. See if it makes sense to you. Test it against the scriptures. So as we try to apply this today, it's not that there are true prophets and false prophets. I guess the parallel today is 
there are people who explain the Bible rightly and those who explain it badly, wrongly. Okay, that, that would be the parallel to what we're talking about. Three contrasts, then. Three contrasts Ezekiel gives to uh, help distinguish true preachers from false ones. And uh, hopefully they'll come up. But, uh, oh, they're on the sheet. That's helpful. From the heart or from the Lord. Self-interested or courageous. They whitewash the awkward or they preach the whole counsel of God. This is where we're at. This is what we're looking at tonight. These three, really. Maybe take them in turn. There's a contrast, then. False teachers teach from the heart. True teach from the Lord. Chapter 13, verse 3. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. They've seen nothing. Or literally, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own hearts but see nothing. So Ezekiel um, is told that there's a group of people out there that just make stuff up. It it comes from their hearts. They want it to be true. They hear you, Ezekiel, saying Jerusalem will be destroyed. They don't don't want that to be the case. I don't think he's necessarily condemning a charlatan here. Someone who is standing up and saying something they know isn't true. The sort of miserable character who, who says, send in your $500 and I will send you a blessed hanky through the post. You know, it's just a money-making scheme. I'm not sure at this point he's attacking that because they're prophesying from their own hearts. They, they probably think they're sincere, but watch out for them. Now, you can get that. So you, you, let me give you one example. George Whitfield the 18th century evangelist, probably the, the, the greatest... I say this about almost everyone, don't I? But anyway, not to worry. <laughs> the greatest evangelist this country has ever seen. And probably the greatest known celebrity of his day. I mean, he crisscrossed back and forth across the Atlantic. He was certainly probably the best-known man in the whole of the USA. He was incredibly famous because he would speak at a time to crowds of about 30,000, had this extraordinary voice that could just project... Um, massive crowds, and these are sort of non-Christians of the, of the day, said, no, he's speaking to these massive, massive crowds. Phenomenal man of God. You can still read his sermons. They are terrific. Thousands of people became Christians when they heard him preach. He's a great guy. At one point in his life, uh, his son was very unwell. But he felt very clearly that God had told him that his son would be healed. So he went publicly telling people in his sermons, my son is very sick. I think it was tuberculosis, very sick. But God has told me that he will be well and he'll be with me again. And his son died. Now George Whitford, he's a good guy. He is a good guy historically. He is a great man of God. But he just really wanted that to be true. He so wanted it to be true, he believed it and preached it. Now that was a mistake. He shouldn't have done that. Just because he held on to it sincerely and really wanted it to be the case, that doesn't make it true. It was just from his own heart. I'll give you another example, a contemporary one. Some will know uh, the, uh, the minister, preacher, writer, a chap called Rob Bell, who uh, runs a very large church uh, in the States. Enormously popular. Thousands would listen to him every week live. 
and uh, tens of thousands more, I think, probably on podcasts. He's uh, written a book recently called Love Wins. Uh, it's very popular, again, the book. Uh, but essentially, in it, he teaches, it doesn't matter what you believe, everyone will go to heaven eventually. Everyone will. It doesn't matter if in this life you hate Jesus Christ and say there is no God. Eventually, everyone will go to heaven. Now, I mean, lots has been written about this. I mean, the, the, the sort of noble Christian leaders have, have stood up to say that this is a bad book. This man is a heretic. Don Carson would say, uh, this man is blasphemous. I mean, people have really lined up to criticize. But you see, I think I've not met him. From what I've seen him interviewed, he's a, he's a nice guy. But clearly he just really wants it to be true. He really wants that to be the case. But just because he wants it to be true doesn't make it so. Just because he's sincere and delivers this with a passion and, and says, don't you want that to be the case? And something in us says, yeah, yeah, I do. It doesn't make it true. Just because it's from the heart, just because it's sincere, does not mean it's true. So he, he writes in his book, wherever we find grace, love, peace, acceptance, healing, forgiveness, there we've found the creative life force that is Jesus. I mean, it sounds nice, doesn't it? And lots of people will like that book, I have no doubt. But just because it sounds good, just because it's appealing, just because he's sincere, it's not true. Sincerity is not enough. You remember Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Many will say to me on the final day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. So Jesus says it as well, just as clearly. There'll be plenty of people who say, yeah, we knew you, Jesus. We taught, we taught about you, Jesus, didn't we? And he'll say no. Just because you felt it was the right thing doesn't make it true. Sincerity is not enough. By contrast, true teachers, they'll give you God's word. They won't come from the heart, take it just from the heart. They'll give you what's here. They'll give you the scriptures. Look, there's, a, there's an obvious reason why we give everyone a Bible when they come in the door and we read long chunks when we're going through something like Ezekiel because we're wanting to say, look, do, you will read it, won't you? And you, you do see that that's what it says, don't you? The, the preacher's just not just making this up from the heart. You do see the words there on the page, don't you? And once a month, we'll, we'll, after the service, we'll have questions to say, anyone want to ask a question about anything that's been said on the last sort of series? Because we want to make sure that this is, this is what's taught, not from the heart, but God's word. Not just sincere and passionate, but God's word. That's what we need. So there's one contrast. These false prophets, they were sincere. It's from the heart. But true teachers give you what's from the Lord. Second thing, there's a difference. Some of these false teachers then are clearly self-interested, whereas a true teacher will be courageous. Let me explain. Verses 4 and 5. Your prophets, O Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You've not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it for the house of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. It's a picture of a, a jackal or a fox, it could be, round ruins of a building. It's just sniffing round the ruins, not doing anything useful, 
just wanting to find, is there a scrap of food? Anything I can get? Just self-interested, essentially. Not, it's not rebuilding. Or in the second picture, verse 5, you've not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it. It's a picture, look, there's a battle coming, and there are holes in the wall, and the false prophets have done nothing about that. They're quite happy walking around the ruins of people's lives as long as they're okay, as long as they've got their food, as long as life is all right for them. They'll quite happily wander around while people ruin their lives because they're self-interested. As long as they're comfortable, they don't bother with anyone else. Or to try and give that a contemporary slant, there are people who don't care that their friends have rejected God as long as life is comfortable. Don't rock the boat with people, that'll be awkward. You know, just let it lie. To rephrase verse 4, you could put it this way. Your Christians, O London, are like foxes building a nice nest while their friends walk towards destruction. And there are some, many, I don't know, there are some who, you know, yes, I mean, I have friends and they don't know anything about Jesus Christ and they, and they need to, but it's just much easier having a nice comfortable weekend with them. And we had a great night out last night clubbing and I, I want to see them in the week and we get on well and we have a laugh and, and to, to talk about Christian things just, you know, it just causes a bit of tension. I don't want to do that. I'd much rather keep things comfortable and accept that their lives will be ruined eventually, as long as I'm okay, as long as it's not awkward. It's just self-interested, he says. And what happens to teachers, teachers who are self-interested? Well, verse 9, my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions, utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of the house of Israel. They will not enter the land of Israel. Then you'll know that I'm the sovereign Lord. I'll be cut off from God's people forever. Because the New Testament equivalent would be not entering the land, not entering heaven for those who are just self-interested and never deliver the truth of that's true of public teachers. It's a fearful thing. By contrast, two t- true teachers, I take it, then are courageous. They'll stand in the gaps. They'll repair the walls. They'll, they'll not be satisfied with ruins. They'll put themselves out for the sake of others. Do you hear the story of Peter Cartwright? He's a bit of a, bit of a fruit loop in one sense, but he's a courageous man. Peter Cartwright was um, a 19th century evangelist in the States, known for being enormously outspoken. Uh, he was due to preach one Sunday morning. He was told that the president, Andrew Jackson, would be there. And so the organizers, Peter, just calm it down. The president's here. Don't, you know, give him the truth, but not your sort of really full-on loony stuff, just calm it down. Okay, okay, fine, trust me, trust me. (laughs) So he stood up to preach, he's opening words. This morning I've been told to restrain the truth. But let me tell you that unless he repents, the president is going to hell. (laughs) Now that'll get people listening, won't it? I mean, he's got an audience then for the rest of the, uh, people are going to listen. Very strikingly, apparently afterwards, Andrew Jackson went up to him and said... Mr. Cartwright, I disagreed with what you said, but if I had five men with your courage, I would change the world. 
And he's a man who would stand in the gap. He's a true teacher. You don't have to be quite so full on, I guess, but that sort of courage that will stand up and say the things that are not popular. That's what you want in a teacher. So self-interest, two things then. False teachers, they teach from the heart, true from the Lord. False teachers, they're self-interested, true teachers will be courageous. Third, the false teachers will whitewash what's awkward, whereas true teachers will preach the whole counsel of God. So verse 10. Because they lead my people astray, saying, peace, when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash, it's going to fall. So again, the issue back here in the 6th century BC, people are saying, Ezekiel, he's a loon, isn't he? Have you heard what he says? I mean, he's a bit doom and gloom, isn't he? Peace. It'll be fine. God's not angry. He's not that sort of God. God loves and love always wins. So don't. Don't listen to the the doomy, doomy, gloomy Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's told they're just they're fools. It's like a flimsy wall that's got cracks all the way through it, and they just get the paint out and whitewash all over the wall and say, "There it is. It's fine." But it's the sort of wall you could just sort of flick, and it falls down. The house we rent, uh, they've got problems in the bathroom. The bathroom has got damp. Three times now, three times the, uh, the landlords, every summer, we can say, look, there's a problem with the damp. Every summer they sort of fiddle with it a little bit and then just paint over. And every, every year the damp just comes through again. It's a, it's a waste of time, a complete waste of time. And so the paint just flakes off and falls in the bath and looks like we've got dandruff. The, um, it's a complete waste of time, whitewashing over a wall that is... Well, it's riddled with damp in our case, or in this case, it's a wall that's about to collapse. Now, the presenting issue here, of course, was the false teachers were, were telling people what they wanted to hear. Don't panic. Don't panic. God is, God is not angry anymore. Now, I guess the issue today is just the same, that false prophets, false teachers will just, just tell people what they want to hear. They'll just... Drift with the culture. Wherever the culture goes, that's what they'll teach. So for us in the 21st century UK, in in the West, the culture just drifts in a more permissive, liberal direction. So many Christian teachers will teach just that. Just that. They won't go fast enough for some. On uh, Thursday, no, sorry, Friday uh, of this week, the leader in the Times newspaper, let me quote you that, Over a generation or more, the culture of this country has become increasingly liberal with the general popular assent of the the nation. This welcome development has yet found its expression in the Anglican Church, which still cannot resolve its problems with gay clergy or women bishops. So listen, the church, it's a newspaper, the church saying, can you just be a bit more drifty with the culture? Do you see the assumption in what they've said there? The culture has drifted. The church should move with the culture I mean, the paper is saying, that's your job, church. Move with the culture. Get with the times. You're just out of date. The problem is, is that always the case? What if the culture drifts in a more authoritarian direction? What if, what if the church drifts in 1930s Germany towards a di- dictatorship? And that's what people want. And that's what people vote for. Presumably then, I should say to the Times newspaper, presumably what the church should do is say, what we need is dictatorship. Dictatorship. 
What we need is less liberty. What we need is a strong leader telling us precisely what to do. Presumably, if we're just meant to follow the culture and chase it around wherever it goes, that's what we would do, isn't it? Or does that sound not great? Should there be a church which says, that's wrong? The culture has got it wrong. People are drifting in a direction which is damaging to them. That would presumably be a better church. I was at a meeting the other day of um, Anglican clergy. Uh, one, uh, one vicar stood up and was very agitated and uh, literally was, was slapping his notes and saying, the church must rediscover its prophetic voice. Oh, interesting. Uh, he's going to say something good. We must, we must stand up and publicly insist and demand that this nation takes global warming more seriously. I said, no, let him sort of let off steam. I just, I mean, partly character, I know. I just had to stand up and say, is that really prophetic? I mean, Al Gore's done a pretty good job of that, actually. It doesn't sound a radically countercultural message. That, to me, just sounds like drifting with the culture. Good, good, good thing to say, but why would you describe that as prophetic? No one's going to complain if you stand up and say, we should do more for the environment. Yes, very good. If you stand up and say, there is a God whom people have rejected, and he, he's, he will punish that rejection. And your rejection of God will damage you. And you will ruin your life unless you find your true life in Jesus Christ. Now, you know what? That will be a little less popular than save the environment. But that's the prophetic message that the church is given to deliver. See, what Reverend Whitewash does is uh, he gets, uh, this is what he does in the 21st century, he every so often gets his tipex out and says, you know that bit of the Bible? Ooh, I'm not sure that's going to go down very well. Let me get rid of that. And, um, ooh, Ezekiel. <sighs> Need a lot of paint for that. That won't do very well. And Reverend Whitewash, he, he doesn't paint a wall. He just gets his tipex out and takes out half the Bible, probably more. That's what people will do. They'll whitewash what is awkward by contrast, the true teacher will give you everything that's here. The whole counsel of God. That's what Paul, that's Paul's phrase, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. He says to uh, his dear friends in Ephesus, I've proclaimed to you the whole counsel of God and my conscience is content that I've done that. And you do the same. Tell your people everything. Don't just give them certain bits of the Bible. Give them everything. Because we need all of it. Let's be honest. Ezekiel, if you've been here for the last few weeks, it's a deeply uncomfortable book. It's not my first choice of things to preach. I find it deeply unsettling for myself and awkward to stand up and deliver it. But we need the whole counsel of God. We'll try here as a church to go through lots, all the different genres, types of, the, of Bible literature, New Testament apostle and, and, and gospel and Old Testament prophet and Old Testament narrative. We, 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 you know, we try to go through it all, step by step, step by step, a, a balanced diet, because we need it all. And not miss out bits which are awkward, just to go through it all.
Because we don't want to get the tip out. We want to give the whole counsel of God. Those are the religious whitewashers. As I thought, we probably should stop there. Let me pile through uh, very quickly the last two things that are there. Chapter, um, uh, watch out for them, the teachers. There'll be Christians standing up and saying things that are not true, the religious whitewashers. Very briefly, let's look at the pagan charmers, verses uh, 17 to 23. These then are not Israelite prophets. These are pagan charlatans. They're more concerned, seemingly, with individuals and individual wealth and the fate of the nation. Seems to be a difference. Let me just make one simple point. (laughs) It's not just religious teachers that give you lies. Non-religious people do as well. That's the simple point that I think is being made here. It's not just there are people who, who stand up as Christian ministers and tell you stuff which isn't true. Lots of unbelievers, atheists, do precisely the same. I mean, it's a fairly obvious point. You're even more likely probably to hear, peace, 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 there's no problem. God, angry, you're more likely to hear, peace, peace, from an atheist than anyone, of course. And it's a popular message again. It was a popular message at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, Humanism at its sort of peak at the the start of the 20th century. You've got people like Bertrand Russell writing and and preaching to, to huge crowds and saying, humankind can do, can do extraordinary things. If humanity just pushes aside the medieval belief in God, we can achieve greatness. We can achieve peace and prosperity beyond anything we've ever known. And then it sort of declined as the 20th century went on. Because you had the First World War. And that's not so good as uh, on humanity's CV. And the Great Depression and those were miserable years. And the Second World War, again, not a great entry on man's CV. So in the second half of the 20th century, the triumph of humanism, peace, 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 faded. And it's only really again in the 21st century when the prophets of new atheism are saying, what we need to do is just get rid of mankind's medieval belief in God, and then we can achieve greatness and prosperity and success and peace in a way we've never seen before. And you think, yeah, 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 we had this message about 100 years ago. And we'll have it again, again, and again, and again. So it's not just the, the false teachers amongst Christians, obvious point, or other religious leaders. Of course, it's the non-Christian world who say the same message, peace, peace, peace. And some people will be taken in for the sake of money. I see verse 19, these pagan um, charmers are, are told, you've profaned me among my people for a few handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. That'll go on still today. I read a fascinating article um, a couple of weeks ago. A chap called Paul Haggis, uh, who um, is not Scottish. Uh, uh, He's American. He's an American screenwriter, and he's phenomenally successful. So he got the Oscar for Best Screenplay for Million Dollar Baby, and the following year for Crash. So back-to-back, he won Best Oscar. Sorry. Oscar for Best Screenplay. No one else has ever done that. Phenomenally successful man in Hollywood. He's a Scientologist, or was until a year ago when he left. He'd got to the absolute zenith of Scientology, and then he said, no, this is rubbish, and quit. And uh, there's all sorts of uh, litigation going on because, obviously, as a movement, they're very unhappy. Now, of course, if you you know nothing about Scientology, forgive me for being simplistic and blunt, but it is this. It's pagan charming for the sake of money. It is the belief that 
Every one of us is a thetan. We may not recognize it, but that is an immortal creature that came here from another planet, and we just get reincarnated and reincarnated and reincarnated. And if you pay the Church of Scientology lots of money, you go through various courses, and eventually you become an operating thetan, which means you can control the inner immortal soul of the alien that you've got. Okay? That's, that's Scientology. That is what it teaches. But, you know, so you, this man, Paul Haggis, you can read it still online, um, his testimony of what, uh, what took place. What was the appeal? You are a super bright guy. Why on earth did you go for this thing? Because uh, I looked at some others and it made them successful. I thought it would make me rich. Huh. Precisely what's going on here. Precisely what's going on here. People will follow pagan nonsense for the sake of money. His very striking comment in that article was, most of those he joined the Church of Scientology with were atheists. Just (laughs) as an aside. He said, because um, we didn't like God, because we'd have to give an account to him. But we wanted something. We wanted something spiritual that we could control. It's a very modern phenomenon. Those are the pagan charmers. Watch out for them as well. Last thing, and this is the most sobering of all. So uh, Ezekiel's down, he's attacked two groups. The religious whitewashers, those who pretend to be uh, true teachers in the Christian church, will be the modern equivalent. Then pagan charmers, those in in the world who will try and uh, fool you with some kind of modern spirituality. Last thing, God will deceive people. This is shocking. Let me take take you through it in a few minutes. Chapter 14. Verse 1. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his idolatry. So, in the 6th century BC, there'd be a man who's set up a shrine in his house, perhaps, to the false god Molech. And he comes along to the temple. No, it wouldn't be that. But he comes along to a, a prophet and says... Hey, I worship Molech. Uh, Has God got any guidance for me? And the prophet will say to him, The living God says to you, Go and worship Molech. Let me try and modernize that. There's There's a man who comes to church, and he's a sex addict. Essentially, he sleeps around and has a succession of one night stands. No one knows it. Just his own little secret. Just regularly sleeping around with different people. And he comes to church one night and uh, says, Minister, um, uh, you know, I've got an issue going on with my business. Have you got any advice for me? And the minister says to him, yeah, God says to you, have more sex. Do you see what God is saying here? It's deeply shocking. He's saying some people will be so wrapped up in their idols that when they come and ask for my 
when they come and listen to me, I'll say, yeah, just go and worship your idol. Is that surprising? It's no different to the New Testament. In Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1 we're told that God reveals his wrath, his judgment against people on this, on this earth. And do you remember what it is? God hands them over. He says, oh, you're behaving very stupidly. Go on then. See, people get very confused. You know, God is angry. What does that look like? Well, the, the New Testament picture is when God is angry, he just says, go on then. If you're going to make a mess of your life, go on. Like a father. A father has a teenager, and the teenager eats nothing but McDonald's. That's all he eats. Breakfast, lunch, evening meal, nightcap of milkshake of some kind. Just the, That's all he eats, all he eats. And um, you know, his dad, you know, when he's at home with his parents, of course he's forced to eat a vegetable or two. But eventually his dad gets very annoyed with him for just going repeatedly to McDonald's and says, okay, that's it. We're going to feed you McDonald's as well. So all you know, and it's not just when you're on your own, every meal we have as a family, McDonald's, 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 McDonald's. Have you seen Super Size Me? Have you seen that film with Morgan Spurlock? You know, he just eats nothing but McDonald's for a month and becomes desperately ill. Desperately ill. Allegedly, you know. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, he reaches the point where it's pretty obvious if you're watching this, that's not healthy. That is a bad thing to fill your life with nothing, to fill your gut with nothing but McDonald's. And that is what God does. That's the warning here. If you're caught up in some obsession, sometimes God will just let you get on with it. And you may well be a, um, a sex addict. And you come to church, and what you hear, I mean, ignore what the preacher says, what you hear is, whatever's good for you, do it. God just wants you to be happy. If sex does it for you, go for it. Go for it. No problem. Maybe a man who's having an affair, who comes to church, and all he hears is, yeah, God, God is a God who is gracious, and he'll forgive you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you move from one wife to the next wife to the next wife. See, that's what's going on here, according to Ezekiel. God will sometimes just say, off you go. Off you go. There are false prophets. I'm just going to let you listen to them. Off you go. Is that shocking? Why would he do that? Verses 5 and 6. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. He'll do it so that people go, I'm sick just eating McDonald's. Or, I'm trying a lot of sex, it just doesn't satisfy me. Or, I've tried making as much money as is humanly possible, and I'm still frustrated. He'll do that. But the grace of this chapter in particular is verse 6. God says, I'm warning you. I'm warning you that this takes place. I'm warning you that this happens. Repent. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent. Turn from your idols, renounce all your detestable practices, repent. 
what do you do with a chapter like this? All it is, is it's one big, long warning. There'll be people who stand up and teach you stuff that is untrue. Maybe in a church, maybe in an atheist synagogue. What is that? An atheist temple. Maybe it doesn't matter what it is. There'll be people who stand up and teach you things that are true. Do check what they say. The people you want will teach from the Lord. They'll be courageous in saying it and they'll preach the whole counsel of God. Those are the people you want. And you know what? Sometimes you'll just get deluded into, and you'll think, yeah, that's good. I like that. I'm allowed to do whatever I want. And God says, I might let you get on with that sometimes, but let me warn you that I will do that. And turn back to me. I think this is shocking. But the grace in it is God warns us. You don't get Darth Vader coming on and saying, come with me and we can rule the universe together. You don't get that. No one stands up like that and says, I'm evil. Do you want to join my gang? No one does that. But God says, let me warn you, at least a third of the New Testament, and certainly this chapter here, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, these are deeply sobering and solemn truths, and uh, you know my heart that I I would much prefer not to say them. Uh, And the hearts of all who are here, presumably, would much prefer not to hear them. It is miserable, too, to consider those who are teaching things which are untrue, even if they don't intend it, even if they've self-deceived themselves and just want it to be true because it's nice. These are miserable things to consider. But we thank you that in your mercy you warn us. Prepare us further, we pray. Help us to be people who are discerning, to spot what is true from what is false, so that we worship you and not an idol. Amen. I should probably take questions, but the time is too late. and uh, time marches on. We will have a question time after next week's evening sermon. Um, come and grab me tonight if you want to ask anything on, on what we've said tonight. Or, um, or you can hold it and uh, submit a written question next week. But um, if, if this has touched a raw nerve, don't go away angry. Please come and um, talk to me about it. And I'll even let you have a play with my Darth Vader.